everyone remembers their first time. Come on. <laughs> Mine, yeah, I flew from uh, LA to Sydney in United Global First. It blew my mind. I mean, I remember getting on the plane and like looking around at the other people, like trying to make eye contact with them, like, oh my, do you believe this? Look at, look at what we got here. And no one else, everyone else was, you know, all jaded and, and so used to it. That's the fun, being the person who doesn't belong there. That's the best part. The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 282. There is an underground vault in Denmark that contains every single Lego set ever made. That's like Shangri-La to a 10-year-old child. I have done a lot of crazy things to save money while traveling, and so has today's guest, George Igo, and that's why we get along so very well. But in the last three and a half years, the one thing that I haven't skimped on is a good travel backpack, and I've taken the Tortuga backpack around the world with me. I absolutely love it, and I'm not the only one because the Tortuga Outbreaker backpack was just named by Wirecutter, which is like an online version of Consumer Reports, as the best travel backpack in the world. I love the wire cutter. I use their recommendations for all types of things from electronics to travel equipment. They do it all. They're very well esteemed in the review space. And that's why I'm super excited that the Tortuga Outbreaker backpack was just named the best travel bag by the wire cutter. So if you want to check out the bag that just won wire cutters awards, you can go to tortugabackpacks.com. Don't forget to use the promo code EPOP. That's E-P-O-P, all capital letters, because that will get you 10% off your entire order. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who once ate 5,500 calories on a one-way flight to Copenhagen, got drunk on the Hello Kitty plane, showered while 35,000 feet in the sky, went jogging through Copenhagen in jeans, and went skiing in Dubai, but opted to save a few dollars and not get gloves. George Igo of richtravelpoortravel.com. George, thanks for joining me today and welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I don't think there's a project on the internet that I could get behind more than the project you're doing because it involves flying first class and using miles basically to get like this high class luxury lifestyle for free. But then you're in a place and you want to pinch pennies. So you're basically broke while you're there. And you love making it for yourself along the way. So for me, that is a win-win-win right there. Yeah, it's uh, that's my life. I'm, uh, I fly like a rich man, but have to live like a poor man. Yeah, it's awesome. In today's episode, guys, what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about how to fly first class around the world. A lot of you already know that. We get into miles and points. A lot of you are frequent fire geeks on the lines of George and I. So you already know a little bit of that about that. Then we're going to talk about George living like a pauper when he actually gets to the destination, what's involved in that. Uh, George, I want to talk about what spurred you on to start making these videos, 
how you successfully film yourself when traveling solo. We'll kind of pull the curtain back a little bit behind the scenes, look at how you make your videos, and of course, uh, discuss some of your favorite travel mishaps, which is basically what the videos are about. It's seven minutes long of travel mishaps. Um, so give us the, the genesis, because you have this YouTube series called Rich Travel, Poor Travel. Um, has this been an idea that was percolating for a while, or was it one day you thought, this is it, I'm just going to start doing it, I'm going to start filming myself doing these kind of things? Uh, I had the idea for a while. I got the idea when I was flying from Dubai to London once in first class, and I went to the Emirates First Class Lounge in Dubai, which, as with all things Dubai, is ridiculously over the top. And I ate steak and drank champagne and wine and got a foot massage. Then I flew first class and slept in the bed, drank more champagne, ate more steak, got to London, took a shower in the arrivals lounge, ate breakfast there. Then I left the airport and I had to take the bus to my hostel. And it just reality came crashing in very harshly. And I just couldn't help but laugh at myself and just thought this would be kind of a, a funny little series. Has that always been the way that you've traveled as far as this low budget, you know, trying to pinch pennies? I'm not going to spend a lot of money on travel when it comes to the stuff that you can't use hotel or uh, miles and points for to get to, for free. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, I've never really had the, the kind of uh, kind of budget where I could splurge when I got there. So it was kind of born out of necessity. And when you were growing up, I mean, a lot of people come on and, you know, it's it's pretty fairly split half and half between people who were growing up as travelers and it was their parents taking them places, you know, so that that was kind of, I guess, innate in them or born into them. And then the other half were people were like, oh, I didn't do much travel growing up, but there was this aha moment or I took this one trip and it... I instantly knew this is going to be a much bigger part of my life than it has been. Which side of the coin do you fall on? I'm in the second one. My uh, We did not travel that much. I mean, we did um, all stateside. We never went international. Um, but yeah, kind of just, you know, the uh, standard, you know, tourist destinations, uh, nothing too adventurous, uh, a couple of Disney World trips in there. Um but yeah, I don't know. I just, I've always kind of just had a little bit of a, a wanderlust in me. And uh, I'm pretty much the only one in my family who, who, who does this. Was there a moment or a, or a few moments that you could point to where you went off and you took a trip and you thought, all right, yeah, I'm going to, you know, break free for lack of a better term from my family and, and the people I know who don't really do this and I'm going to become a traveler? Or was it a gradual hey, all of a sudden I'm traveling more than than most other people. It was much more gradual. Just kind of went on a couple of stateside uh, little adventures, did like a ballpark tour of uh, different baseball stadiums, and uh, just kind of grew from there and became, you know, much more international over time. Have you always been using miles and points to get you this high-class, first-class travel, or is this something you fell into a little later? Uh, this was a little later, uh, probably about five years ago is when I got really into it, and I have not stopped since. Yeah, because you've had some pretty epic journeys. I mean, you've done a lot with miles and points that that I certainly haven't. Some, I, I'm even very frugal with my miles and points. You know, it gets it, there's like this weird thing of, I know I'm getting this for free, but if I save enough miles, I can do more traveling. Whereas you've opted, at least in some of the instances and in the ones that, that are, make it to your series, to 
splurge and have these first class showering in the uh, Etihad or Emirates, can't remember which one, this suite and things like that. Are you also frugal with miles and points or are you the type who says, no, I'm going to use this to really go all out? I, I splurge with the points a little bit more. Uh, I'm pretty tall. I'm 6'5". And so that's largely what got me into this was I don't want to sit for 15 hours in a coach seat because I really can't fit that well. And uh, so once I discovered, oh, my God, there's a way to get in first class for free. Uh, I was off and running. And was there a like, can you remember your first trip in first class or even business class? Because I, re- I remember personally, the first time I went into a lounge, I-, I was shocked. It probably I can't even remember which one it was, but it probably wasn't even that nice of a lounge all told because it's probably in the States. But I remember thinking I like walking in the lounge and thinking I'm not supposed to be here. Uh, you know, this is I- I've only ever seen people going in the airport. And I thought they were like, you know, these ballers who were be- being able to go in the lounge. Did you have a similar experience, either your first first class flight or your first time in a lounge or anything like that? Of course, everyone remembers their first time. Come on. Uh, mine, yeah, I flew from uh, LA to Sydney in United Global First. And, and it, it blew my mind. I mean, I remember getting on the plane and like looking around at the other people, like trying to make eye contact with them. Like, oh my, do you believe this? Look at, look at what we got here. And no one else, everyone else was, you know, all jaded and, and so used to it. And, but that's, that's the fun being the person who doesn't belong there. That's the best part. For sure. I, I love always thinking, how are other people here? You know, because I know how I'm there, miles and points. And I'm sure there, sometimes I can spot the other people who are on miles and points. You know, typically they're younger, or at least the people I, I think are on miles and points. They're younger, they're my age. You know, they don't look like they're going somewhere for business. They totally look like they're going somewhere for pleasure. And I think they, they've had to use miles and points. But then you get a lot of the people who are, yeah, stodgy, probably do it every other week or so sick of being on planes, they don't care. But you're right. That idea of being the person that doesn't belong makes it all the better. Oh, yeah. You're crashing their party. It's great. <laughs> what are, for you, what are some of the places that you have been or, or the experiences that you had in miles and points that really, really stick out. And, and again, you have, you have three videos up now and we'll get into that a little later of what's coming in the pipeline, but you have three videos up now. Are there a few that you thought like, this is kind of the creme de la creme of the miles and points world? I think, I mean, a couple of years ago, I did a full round the world trip where I just strung together a series of one way awards and, um, you know, did Cathay first class and Singapore suites and that was when I did the uh, Dubai to London uh, flight that I spoke about earlier. I think that was like just doing a full lap around the earth. That was like something I'd, I, I read around uh, the world in 80 days when I was a kid. And that's kind of an idea that is sort of fascinating me just taking a taking a lap around. And um, doing that was, I think, probably real real feather in my cap. Yeah, especially getting to do that in some of the most premium ways possible. Yeah, yeah, just it would be so prohibitive. Even doing it in coach would be so prohibitively expensive if you're buying your ticket. But with with miles, you just you know one way awards are half the price. It's it costs no more. Yeah, it, it really opens up a world that whether you're doing it, I mean, even for like you mentioned in coach, it's opened up a world for my wife and I to go to places we never would. I mean, even just crazy last minute stuff that would cost 
400 $500 to go stateside because it's, you know, a one-way last-minute ticket. Oh, let's go see her family. All of a sudden, we're like, no, this is 7,500 British Airway miles, and I could literally hop on in four hours. I mean, there, there's that little component. There's the huge components you're talking about, about going the, around the world. You know, a lot of people listening don't need to be convinced of the uh, value of miles and points, but it's always neat to hear from other people who have been able to do it like yourself. Have there, have you ever tried to calculate up, you know, how many trips you've either done, like how many miles you've flown and, or, you know, what it might've even feasibly cost you to do a similar type thing? Um, I've never calculated the, the cash of it. I, I imagine it'd be pretty high because first class is so insanely expensive. Um, Miles flown. I've done like four big trips. I think, including this, uh, the one where I shot this series. Um, I think I've traveled. It's been like hundred thousand miles in the air. I think by my, around there, by my calculations, uh, which is a lot. Not you know, not a lot of. There's some people that fly four hundred thousand a year, so that's uh, not that much. But uh, yeah, I don't know what it would cost in in money. Yeah, I mean, and and I always try. I always think I'm going to sit down and do it and figure it out, which would take, I, you know, probably weeks to actually do. But but there have been times where I figured out like one flight or or a series of flights, and um, as you mentioned, in first class, it's going to be twenty five, twenty k or fifteen k every time you step on the plane, um, especially the the Singapore uh, the suites and things like that. For you, though, uh, the the other component of it is you have this. I'm doing these amazing trips, and I'm I'm living in the lap of luxury, and I'm eating everything I can, and all that. And we'll get into that too. So, how broke are you really when you land in these places? Oh uh, well, you know, I'm not sleeping on the street or you know begging for change on the corner. Uh, I I don't want to overstate it and and you know talk like I'm homeless, but uh, you know I have a, a place to stay and I eat and you know I'm comfortable, but uh, I'm eating you know cheaply and you know pizza shop on the corner something like that i'm not going to the fancy restaurants um i eat a fair amount of mcdonald's because it's cheap and uh yeah i don't do like you know the the activities the high-end you know activities i'm uh pretty pretty frugal when it comes to that stuff how do you decide where you want to go? Like, are you are you planning, especially with the video series, are you planning on going to these places anyway? Are they places that interest you that you think, all right, I'm going to travel to because I want to go here? Or are they certain places that you've gone to because you know it'll make a, a good thing for the video series with, all right, this will be funny if I travel here and it's really high class, but when I get here, it's going to be interesting because it's going to be fun that I'm poor and I'm actually in this country. Uh, well, with the uh, videos that I did, uh, Tokyo and Dubai, I've already been to. And so that was definitely, I'd been there already. I kind of knew what it was all about. And I thought it would make for an interesting video. Uh, Copenhagen, I had not been to before. Um, but I think, you know, going forward, I will want to go to places I've been to before. Uh, because knowing it and having an idea of what it's all about I think makes for a better video. It makes me more prepared to do something entertaining. Yeah, and that brings me to this the next idea then with the actual filming. Because, you know, there's a lot of people, myself included, out there who would love to film 
our travels, and I do a little bit of it as well, not to the uh, not to the degree that you did it and made it as interesting as and as fun. I'm certainly not as funny. Um, but how much of it do you script ahead of time, or is it stuff that you get there and you think, all right, this is going to make a good story, and it's almost ad libbed? Uh, I definitely had a script with me. Um, I had things kind of mapped out. Uh, certainly, obviously, the flight that I had was was specifically chosen, and kind of the general themes that I wanted to explore was uh, chosen, and some of the activities that I was going to do was pretty mapped out. But uh, within that framework, I allowed myself to, you know, kind of ad lib, see what just see what happens. You know, you can you know, have a ver- you can shoot a version of what you have written, but then you can also just shoot stuff as it comes along and kind of just figure it out in editing, see what works. I think that's one of the toughest parts, right? I mean, I always said, if I could just have a camera guy, or or like maybe one day they'll make this, probably already it exists in some way, like a drone just following you around, right? Shooting everything you do. And you're like, well, this would be great because all this funny stuff happens when you're not expecting it. Um, Aside from us being able to do that, it becomes very difficult, as you mentioned, to do it without a script. And I think that's one of the things that you do really well. And what makes a really good video is when it's scripted out so it's not all over the place, but it appears natural because it it still is a natural occurring thing. You've just thought, hey, if I go here and do this, I at least have put myself in this position, if that makes right. sense. Yeah, yeah, that definitely makes sense. Just, yeah, you uh, have have a roadmap. You can explore within that roadmap, but you need to to know where you're going, where it's going to end, and just uh, have that, you know, a, a storyline that provides forward momentum taking you through the video. What was the idea of filming yourself? Like, how did that come about? Were you someone who is always filming your travels, like, for your own uses and, and stuff like that? Or do you have a background in film? Why the decision to say, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and make this, these short little, you know, seven-minute um, rich travel, poor travel videos? Uh, well, my background is in uh, television. I work in TV. And um, I've kind of, you know, since high school, I was making, you know, little short films and stuff like that. Um, past 10 years or so, my uh, back, I've been focused more on writing for TV. Uh, but, you know, the um, just shooting it myself, it was out of necessity. I mean, I don't have a cameraman. I can't afford a cameraman. And um, I just kind of looked up online. It's a lot of vlogs, a lot of vloggers do that exact thing where they just kind of shoot it selfie style. I just kind of looked, studied what they were doing a little bit, what their techniques were. And from there, just kind of figured it out. Yeah, give us a little bit of a peek behind the curtain there with filming yourself while traveling solo. I've usually had the good fortune of having someone with me, uh, typically my wife, and I'll make her film me, much to her chagrin. Uh, and, and, you know, it's like take number seven. She's like, I- I'm done, right? Like, I'm not holding this camera up anymore. Um, how do you how do you go about filming yourself? Like, what do you use and what have you found to be some of the best practices that, that then when you actually go back and look at it, it's something that looks fine and can be used? Uh, well, I got a fairly cheap camera, uh, you know, middle of the road kind of Canon camera, um, and, uh, a nice microphone. You need good audio. If you have bad, 
good audio is way more important than good video. If people can't hear it, that's, that is death. Um, so I had a nice microphone that attached right to the top of that. And then I had like a bendable tripod thing that uh, you can bend into like a J shape and you just hold your arm out and you do that. You kind of can uh, avoid having your arm in the shot too much because that also doesn't look great. And um, yeah, just kind of do that when you, you need a forward facing viewfinder, something so you can frame your shot, see what, how it looks. And then also, and just, you need good lighting too. I, I discovered this kind of as it was happening. Um, I, I couldn't shoot at night at all, basically, because the footage was so grainy and just really unusable. Uh, I shot a bunch of stuff at night, my first night in Tokyo, and then got back and I couldn't use any of it. And that was also a problem on the planes, these night flights, these dim cabin planes. Um, I, I could have used a light. I didn't have one, so I had to make do. But that was kind of looking back on some of the footage of like, oh, man, a light really would have helped this out. Yeah, with the because uh, you're really good then with the editing, you know, the quick cuts, I think a lot of times, at least personally, when I watch a lot of the travel videos, it's these longer, not not as quickly paced videos. And I just, you know, I get bored. And I think that there is this idea that, uh, you know, people are like, oh, you can only have a video that's two minutes or, or two and a half minutes, you know, that everyone gives you these times. Well, if, it, if it's quickly paced and, and fun, it could you know, it can be much longer, like yours are seven minutes, but I don't sit there and think, when is this going to end? So how much are you, we'll talk about the editing in a second, because you've done a really good job with that, but how much are you filming? Because in order to get those quick cuts, you have to film quite a bit. Like people don't realize, all right, the camera was on for, you know, 10 minutes and I'm using three or four seconds of that footage. How much footage do you actually end up with when you get back? Oh man, I had so much. It was just all day, every day. I was in, I was in each city for two days and it was shooting from, you know, from dawn till dusk really, uh, cause I needed the sunlight. So I was up with the sun and, um, just, there was a lot of stuff that I didn't use. A lot of crappy footage that I had to wade through. Uh, there's some stuff, you know, I was shooting for, you know, a couple hours and it, wound up being three seconds in the video and you know that's that's on me i you know kind of this was sort of a new process for me and i didn't do it as efficiently as i could have uh so i mean if i did it again i would probably do better but um yeah there was a lot of footage a lot of time spent i mean it was it was all day for me for example one of the one of the cool little parts that you did um, well, there's two, but when you're in the plane, you know, you have a lot of, you're cutting up the shots really quick and you're in the, um, and you're in the suite there and you're doing exercise routines right before you hop in the shower. And, you know, it, it's cool because you're cutting back and forth between doing like push ups and sit ups and all these other random exercises. Were you just, did you literally just put the camera up and just film for, you know, 30 minutes or 20 minutes and then just cut those in? Is that, is that the best way to go about doing it? Uh, yeah, I think so. That's exactly what I did. Um, in that plane, I actually had two cameras set up for most of it. I had uh, my main Canon with the microphone that I spoke about, and then I had a GoPro that I put up kind of in the corner. And um, yeah, I just kind of let it run and, you know, just it's worry about it in, in editing. And, 
just get as much as you can because you know the flight is only a finite amount of time I, that was a quick flight too that was only like three hour flight so i had to really hurry up and get what i what i needed and yeah just worry about it in post one of the shots that you have is you waking up with a hangover on the hello kitty plane um after after drinking quite a bit now We'll pull the curtain way back here. Did you leave that camera on the whole time you were sleeping? Or was that something where you thought, all right, this is going to be the shot that I'm going to use. So, you know, I'll wake up, I'll turn the camera on, I'll lay back down, pretend I was sleeping, and then, you know, try to not, not fake it, but try to do it over again, as opposed to waiting through like three hours of you actually just sleeping until you wake up. Uh, no, it was uh, it was uh, staged. Uh, I woke up, set up the camera, framed the shot, got the the lighting the way it needed to be, and then I, uh, yeah, pretended to wake up. It's you know, yeah, it's not a documentary, so <laughs> some things are staged. Yeah, well, good to hear because I was thinking, man, if he did that the other way around, talk about a lot of stuff to sift through. It'd be like that uh, documentary they did a while back of David Beckham sleeping or whatever it was, where people like watched eight hours of David Beckham sleeping. Very odd. With the stuff that you use and and with traveling solo and things like that, obviously a lot of times you're filming yourself, um, and you mentioned getting better as you go along what did you notice that you got better at as you went along with the different videos like was there one specific t thing that you're like all right now i'm better at this and, and i'll be even better next time i do it uh i think with the the lighting certainly um and just kind of recognizing what i would use and what i wouldn't use um, cause I, like, I wasted so much time in Tokyo. That was the first one I shot and I wasted so much time on stuff I didn't use. And I think as I went forward, I just got better with time management that, um, allowed me to, to do more in, in the Tokyo or excuse me, in the, uh, Copenhagen episode, which was the final one I shot, there was a lot of stuff that I did on the fly. That one was less scripted. Uh, and that's because I had time to just fool around with stuff because I was more efficient in my time management. I had looked at all the footage I'd shot so far and I kind of knew what I would use, what I wouldn't use and stuff like that. Do you think that one turned out the best? If I had asked you, all right, which, which one do you think are you most proud of? Would you want people to watch first? Do you think the Copenhagen one for you turned out the best? Probably the best one I think is the Dubai one in my head. I think that's the one that has the most kind of uh, fun and interesting things in it, just with the showering on the plane and the skiing indoors and going to Dubai and never leaving the air conditioning, which is oddly possible. So yeah, if I had to choose, I'd probably say that one. Yeah, and they're only seven minutes each, guys, and there's three. So uh, you don't have to choose, luckily, right? There's 21 minutes of your life that, that, uh, that you'll be able to invest in rich travel, poor travel. What about getting weird looks from other people on the plane? Because, you know, you're out in Copenhagen, you're biking around, you're filming yourself. You know, there's other tourists around. You're filming yourself, uh, you know, in Dubai, skiing down the slopes. Probably pretty common because you're doing some goofy things. But you're in a plane, and we already mentioned, you know, you're sitting in first class, and most people are just like, 
you know, they don't want you kind of breaking into their party. They probably have to have to be in first class. They're there for business. Do you ever get weird looks or people telling you, hey, you shouldn't be doing this or they don't want you to do it? Because even though you have your own little other than when you had your actual suite, your your room, you, you have your own little seat, but you're still there's still people around you who are, you know, know what you're doing. Yeah, uh, I was really worried about that, actually, before I I departed. Uh, but I really had no problems at all. I was pretty much using my camera with impunity the whole time. And I think it helps that my setup looked, you know, it didn't look professional. It looked like I was just a dude, you know, just a, a vain dude filming himself in first class or something. In looking at the footage, you know, sometimes you see the flight attendants walking behind me. It, it didn't make it to the show, but uh, you could see the flight attendants kind of eyeballing the camera a little bit and but they didn't say anything and so yeah i didn't really have any problems yeah, i think it's one of those things that when you you're, you're really worried about it and i was too when i start first started shooting videos you know people are around uh, you know you don't want an audience you feel self-conscious uh naturally unless unless you're someone who's done it quite a bit but as you go on and as you go on you realize no one else really cares if they do they're just usually curious uh in a good way for the most part and I do feel like you get much more comfortable just doing it and not having to worry about other people. Yeah, I, that's absolutely true. You just, you know, you realize that people are in their own head. No one cares what you're doing, really. Also, what I was able to do is um, in some of the spots, I kind of used voiceover to where I maybe it wouldn't, wouldn't be practical to speak to camera. You could get away with just doing voiceover instead. And so, you know, I had some options as far as that goes. T talking about the editing, and, and I noticed you did that, you know, you voiced over and that's a, r a really easy way when you're making a video to move a story along because you can use B-roll, you know, if you're not familiar with the term, you know, I, you are, but other people, um, you know, you can use it and then you can edit it afterwards and you can craft it to tell your story, which is a really easy way to do it. And I didn't notice was used in basically every TV show until I filmed the TV show and thought, oh my gosh, this is how they move along a story. They don't do it all on location. So when you're editing, a few questions with this. The first is, how long did these videos usually take you to, to actually edit? Because I think people will be surprised. They see a seven-minute thing or a three-minute thing online. They're like, oh, that was easy. Someone put it together. I'm going to do that as a project. I want everyone to do more funny videos, but there is a side that a lot of people don't see. How long did they, they take you from when you shot them to then actually editing them and getting them out? Oh, man, it took forever. Um, I think it was like probably like five, six days per episode that I was working on it. Um, there was just so much footage to wade through and just make you know decisions and, and find the right music. And you know you can't use copyrighted music. That's another thing. It's just such a painstaking process going through it, just, you know, cut by cut and second by second and just making all these little trims to make it fast paced and interesting and, and flow and have the story still track. Did you learn anything from the editing? Because this is like the filming. I think the, you know, the first couple of times you do it is going to be like, as you mentioned, painstaking and take forever and you don't know what you're doing. Did you notice yourself getting much better by the third one to the point that it was drastically reducing the amount of hours it was going to take you? Uh, yeah, yeah, I certainly got better at it. And, um, you know, a lot of that time is just 
you know, just inexperienced with it. I hadn't, I edited a, a fair amount, you know, um, back in my younger days, but it'd been like 10 years since I edited anything. So I really had to shake off the rust and, uh, and figure it out again. Um, but yeah, certainly got better but with anything in life. You, you get a little practice, you do it a little bit and you get better at it. Yeah. And I think the point that I, I hope people take away and the reason I want to talk about how you actually did the filming and dive a little bit into the nitty gritty of it is that a lot of people want to do this type of thing and they, they get scared because they need better equipment or they need this, or they need that. And what I like about what you did is, yeah, you have a little bit of a background, but you said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to plan it out a bit. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to put a few videos out there and, and see how it goes. And I think that's, as we said, anything can fall into that category. It doesn't have to be doing videos, but specifically travel videos. I know when I watched the first few that I did, I look back and think, geez, like, shouldn't I take, I should take these off YouTube at this point, you know? Um, but you get much, much better. Do you have plans on filming more or is there more that you filmed that you just haven't edited? What are, what are we looking at with the rich travel, poor travel series? Uh, I'm hoping to do a, a second season. I'm already kind of, uh, kicking around ideas for that. Um, I got, you know, some, uh, a lot of moving parts with in my life right now. I got to see what's happening with my job that will allow me to uh, to take the time to do it. But uh, it's certainly something I want to do because it's something I really enjoyed and something I think I could improve upon. I, you know, I watch some of this stuff and it's like ah, I could have done that better, could have done that better. And so I'd I'd like to kind of keep this train moving forward because I enjoy doing it. Do you have specific places in mind that you would love to go back and film? Uh, yeah, right now I'm thinking Hong Kong, certainly, um, possibly Singapore, New Zealand, um, maybe Cape Town as well. Uh, but I'm, I'm kind of still in the brainstorming stage and I, I need to, to really figure it out before I did anything. Are there a few favorite places? I, I know you said you did like a bit of a around the world trip and you've been traveling, uh, you know, a fair bit. Um, in the last 10 years or so, are there a few places that you have, not just for filming purposes, but just as places to, to go to and enjoy that you've been to that you really, really enjoy? Uh, yeah, I mean, probably my favorite place I've been to was, uh, you know, Vietnam and Cambodia. Uh, just those, those are the most different places I've ever been. I mean, they're just, they feel like different planets and I really like that. And you know, that's I, I might go back there to try to shoot something because it's so different. It's a great setting for for a video, but uh, I haven't made any decisions about that yet. Do you have a few tips that you can give listeners? Uh, obviously, um, you do this a lot, but a few favorite tips of ways that you save money when traveling. I think, uh, you know, eating on the cheap, just, you know, I know people, uh, I'm not a foodie, so it's easy for me. Because I, for me, food is I just kind of shovel it in my mouth and, and move on. I'm not like someone who like really experiences food like that. So I, you know, I think that's a, a place for me to cut corners, but that's probably not for everyone. I don't know. I just, you got to just uh, make tough decisions and, and, you know, decide what you really want to do with your money. And, you know, you got to just, at a point, you got to draw a line and not do stuff sometimes. And that kind of sucks, but that's uh that's the gig yeah there's a lot of stuff that can be gained and can be done totally free i i heard one guy tell me like oh I, I, he went all the way to agra and he i think the taj mahal is 
50, I can't remember, $15 or $25 to get in. And he said, no, 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 I'm a budget traveler. I'm not, I'm not paying that. I can see it from my rooftop or, you know, the rooftop of the hostel or whatever it was. And I thought, okay, that's fine. Me personally, if I'm going to Agra, which is probably the crappiest town I've ever been in in my life, uh, if I'm making the effort to go there, I'm going to pay the money to go in. Uh, you know, he made the hard decision not to, but there is so many things that you can do for cheap, especially when we're talking about traveling and just getting out and exploring, that you don't always have to spend, you know, gobs and gobs of money to go on group tours. And again, I don't mind any of this. I do a lot of this, but you know, you make those decisions and it's not like you'll have a bad time. Right. I'm a big fan of bike tours, actually. I've done those in a bunch of cities. They're usually pretty cheap. You kind of get to see all the the sites in a couple hours. It's it's very efficient. You're on a on a bike in a City you see more than while you're driving, but it's faster than walking. I'm a big fan of those. I, I'm with you. I love doing bike tours or or even self-guided bike tours. I'll rent a bike and there's a lot of those city bikes now. You know, you dock them and take them out and all that kind of stuff. I, I love doing that. I, I do love walking tours too. I love doing that kind of stuff maybe the first day I'm in town or in a city because then you get to... You like kind of fill your tourist quotient, right? If you want. Yeah. And yeah. then you get to pick what to go back and do it. Right, right. You got to get a sense of the geography of it all. Yeah. It's a good thing to do on the first day. So I can't let you go, especially someone who likes making a fool of himself as much as you do. And, uh, and I, I thank you for that because there's not enough tr- funny travel videos out there. Do you have a biggest travel mishap that has happened to you that? Maybe it was funny when it happened. Maybe it wasn't. Uh, but it certainly is funny in hindsight. Uh, I think it's probably it just happened to me. And it's it's in the, the videos is when I uh, stumbled upon some drug dealers in Copenhagen uh, and they saw my camera and did not take too kindly to it. Uh, you, you asked me earlier if anyone on the planes had problems with my camera and shooting no, on the planes, it was fine. It was the uh, the drug dealers in Copenhagen that really gave me a hard time. And yeah, they they saw me coming and they were uh, none too pleased to see me. And so I had to I had to move on pretty quickly. Yeah. And, and if you guys are listening, we won't spoil the whole thing. There is another funny little mishap that I noticed in that after you're done your run through Copenhagen, in jeans, I might add, which is, of <laughs> yeah, of course. It was, it was terrible. It was terrible. <laughs> you guys will have to listen to that, but there's also another little mishap that comes there um, after you get away from the drug dealers. That That is that is pretty funny as well. We won't spoil it. We'll, we'll leave it as a teaser for people to watch. What you're talking about now, yeah. <laughs> um, what else do you have coming up in the pipeline then? You talked about maybe doing a second season. Not sure about that. Is there anything else that you have uh, that you'll be doing either as a professional project or, or like a hobby project some like this one? Uh, I'm kicking around some ideas just because I have the, the camera and microphone now, some stuff that I can do uh, here in L.A. locally. I'm still kind of just brainstorming. Haven't landed on anything just yet. Um, but then as you know, my proper job. I got to see what happens in the coming months. It's uh, the TV season is going to be starting up again uh, in these next couple months. And I got to see what happens with my job, couple irons in the fire, but I'm unsure of what's going to happen just now. Awesome. Well, George, I appreciate you coming on and, and talking to us so much um, about not only the funny travel stories, but also then a little bit behind the scenes look. Cause I think in, you know, 
the one thing I want people to get out of this, as we've mentioned, is if, if you want to do it and you want to film yourself and have some fun with it and make your travels a little more interesting and also give yourself, uh, you know, like a, a token. The, the one thing that I love about documenting our travels, whether it's be in the podcast or video or even written form, is that that's something that I can always go back to, even if other people aren't getting a ton of value from it. You know, I can always go back to it and and use it. It's kind of like a living uh, scrapbook there. So I appreciate you coming on um, and also providing an entertaining look at travel. I think that's missing a lot. And we, we you know, I don't want to rag on other travel vloggers and people doing videos because anyone doing stuff, good for you. But I think this humorous element is missing a little bit from other travel vloggers who have all the drone shots and and stuff like that. So I appreciate you coming on, and especially for uh, for giving people a look into the humorous side of travel with rich travel, poor travel. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it. Can you remind people one more time how they can come see the videos? Also, if they want to get a hold of you, is there a way that they can do that? I don't know if you're on social media or not. We just got you on Skype so we could do this interview. So I, I don't know. I don't know if Twitter or Instagram's up your alley, but uh, let people know how they can get a hold of you. Uh, well, to see the videos, you can go to richtravelpoortravel.com. That takes you directly to the YouTube page. Um, or you can just search Rich Travel Poor Travel in YouTube. Uh, and yeah, I'm on Twitter. My uh, handle is High Class Igo, uh, which is an old college nickname. And uh, yeah, by all means, reach out to me. I'm always willing to talk to people. Awesome, guys. We will link all that up in the show notes as well. It's richtravelpoortravel.com. Pretty easy to remember. Uh, you can also search it. If, if you put it in Google, it'll come up. You know, It's on YouTube. It's pretty easy to find if you want to find it. Um, but we'll link everything else in the show notes as well at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods. You can get this and the show notes for all however many episodes we're at now. 260 plus episodes. We'll just leave it at that. You can get all that extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods. Don't forget too, if you are traveling around the world, if you want to be like George, who ended up jogging in jeans because he was trying to pack light and you're looking for a good travel backpack, uh, head on over to tortugabackpacks.com. You can use the promo code EPOP, E-P-O-P, all capital letters. That'll get you 10% off your entire order. It is not necessary to not pack athletic shorts, though. You are allowed, George, to pack athletic shorts. One pair. That's my thing, even if I'm traveling light. I see that now, yes. <laughs> Hindsight is twenty twenty, right? It's 2020. It was, it was too cold for shorts anyway. It was freezing in Copenhagen. <laughs> well, thanks again, George, for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today for the continued support, as always. And that makes us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. We really appreciate you tuning in. And until next time, happy free travels. I'll show you Paris.